This show is brought to you by Cakes and Tins, where you can send the people you adore delightful and delicious gifts that give back. Go to cakesintins.com and use the code ACTINGREAL for 10% off. This show is also brought to you by LA Bookmaker, a deluxe stationery shop and custom bookbinder, offering handmade foil stamped cards, high quality calendars, and other ephemeral gifts. Go to la-bookmaker.com. So you guys may or may not have heard, but we're doing something a little different this season on Acting Real, which is that I'm sharing your stories. I'm sharing listener stories. Um, at the beginning of every episode, there will be a story from someone, one of you, um, and it's a story about a moment of self-discovery, a moment of um, change in your life, something that widened your perspective, something that expanded you. Um, and I'll go into a little bit more of that. We want to hear from all of you, um, and I'll tell you how to reach us. But I, I just want to credit a listener named Camille Risto, whose story I'm about to share, for uh, for inspiring this um, segment, if you will. Uh, she DM'd me um, a couple years ago, maybe maybe not, maybe just a year ago, something. Uh, and um, she told me the story and I just thought the story was so beautiful that it should be heard. And I can guarantee that so many of you listening have had moments like this in your life, moments that have woken you up in some way um, and or moved you. And um, so I wanted to share your moments because it's the whole reason I'm doing this show is to talk about moments like this in our lives and and how we change over time um, and what kinds of things expand our consciousness. And I love talking to actors, but I really have always geared this show as much as I can toward non-actors as well. Um, and just everyday people, all of you, everyone, everyone who listens to the show, I want to hear from you. Um, and I want to read your stories and share your stories because they are so meaningful to me. So moving to me. So without further ado, uh, I would like to read you Camille's story. Um, okay. I volunteered on a hospice unit at the Minneapolis Veterans Hospital maybe four years ago. I had to knock on patients' doors and ask if they would like company. I frequently got turned down, sometimes scoffed at. It seemed normal to me when invited to talk and carry conversation. I was comfortable talking. A man invited me in to sit with him, a man in a lot of pain, and I began talking and asking questions. He almost immediately asked me politely to stop talking. I didn't know what to do. Every fiber in my body wanted to speak, and yet I was directed not to. The seconds felt like hours. The TV was on, but really quiet, and it didn't feel right to actually watch. I couldn't pay attention. I finally heard a whisper in my head to just breathe in and out. As time finally started to feel normal, I just continued to focus on breathing. I noticed the man's breathing also started to slow down. It was just us, sitting there, breathing. He eventually fell asleep. To be in a position where I am helping someone, I sometimes forget what helping means. In that moment, though, I started to understand that my breathing was helping his breathing, his pain relief enough that he could finally feel relief enough to sleep. 
That was a crazy consciousness experience. Just two people breathing and being. Understanding that being present in the moment was what that man needed and finding comfort in that moment. Being present in the moment is hard and it's hard to stay there. I'll take reminders whenever I can and learn how to do it better. So that's Camille's story and I am so moved by it. And I, uh, I just am so grateful for, for, to her for sending it in. And I am grateful in advance to you for sending me your stories. Um, and I'll tell you how in a sec. If you have a story about a time that changed your life, it can be very mundane. You were hanging out by yourself and you had a thought, or it can be crazy, crazy. You uh, were drinking plant medicine and you had a vision. Um, Whatever the story is, if you want to share it, I want to hear it. I really, really, really do want to hear from you. Please email me at claritystories at actingrealpodcast.com. That's claritystories at actingrealpodcast.com. Hey, just quickly, I know that the audio in this episode is not great. It was my first ever remote podcast episode um, that we recorded during quarantine. Most of the episodes in the season were recorded face-to-face in my office. Obviously, since quarantine started, that's no longer a possibility. Um, There are a bunch of Zoom recorded episodes in this season, um, but those do get better. (laughs) Uh, I got past the technical issues that I had for this episode in the future episodes, and so I just wanted to let you know that this audio um, isn't great, and it does get better, and uh, I still wanted to start this season with this episode because I just feel like the content content is so, so special. So hopefully you can hear through the audio to the content, which I really, um, is just so full and beautiful. And I hope that you enjoy it just as much as I do. Hi guys. Oh my goodness. Welcome to season two of Acting Real with Kat Foster. Um, wow, wow, wow. It's been a while since season one. So much has happened. Uh, you know, I'm sure in all of our lives and certainly in the world, holy moly. Um, And a lot, a lot, a lot has happened between the time that I started recording episodes for season two and uh, this time right now, which is early 2021 when I'm releasing um, these episodes. Um, And some of these episodes I recorded pre-pandemic, pre-George Floyd, Uh, and, um, I mean, and so many others and pre, I guess, our collective major awareness of, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and some of these episodes I, uh, recorded after all of that. Um, and so, you know, these episodes span, uh, to the, the, the huge chasm between two very different states of consciousness. Um, in my opinion, I think we had some awareness pre pandemic and now we have sort of a different kind of awareness post pandemic, post black lives matter, um, movement if you want to call it that. And certainly all of this stuff is ongoing. So it's kind of an interesting uh, way that this second season came about. And um, as you'll hear, some of these episodes are going to be, um, you know, feel very current. And uh, others of these episodes 
maybe won't feel so current, but of course, all of these episodes contain, in my humble opinion, a lot of universal truth um, and certainly a lot of very human experience. Um, and I am so, so excited to bring all of these episodes to you um, because as always, I think this show really is impactful. And and I know from feedback that it's changing people's lives and um, for the better. And just to be able to participate in making the world a better place in any way, on any level, is a deep, deep privilege for me and, and an honor and a, and a huge joy. Um, so, so hi, so welcome. So, you know, I'm going to do a little preamble before every episode, and that's where we're at right now. Uh, I'm, I want to let you know that this episode, our first episode of the season, um, my guest um, is Parisa Fitzhenley, who... And, and one of the reasons I'm airing this episode first, so we recorded this episode um, October 31st, I believe, maybe October 30th of 2020. Um, and she is just a stunning creature um, <laughs> inside and out. Um, if you don't know her, uh, she, you might have seen her on Midnight Texas. She uh, was a, a character on that, the show on NBC. She did a huge arc on the show called The Sinner. She played Meghan Markle in um, the, I guess, the Prince Harry and Meghan Markle movie. <laughs> whatever that was on. I'm like literally looking at IMDb right now. Um, and she's doing a cool pilot right now for ABC, which we talk about on the show, which hopefully gets picked up and you'll be able to see her brilliant self on that. Um, we talk in this episode just about so many things that I think are so relevant. And really, she tells some stories that I feel like must be heard. At the moment of our recording, she was living in South Carolina in a trailer. And <laughs> we talk all about that. Um, and uh, I think, you know, her experience as a black woman living in South Carolina in that in this period is 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 so uh um, fascinating and, and, and amazing. And, um, and I'm, I'm so glad that, uh, you guys get to hear about that. We talk about my favorite thing, which is moms. And we talk about her mom, who's an amazing mom. And, um, we talk about, you know, how it felt going into quarantine and, you know, how she ate pancakes and ice cream for weeks on end and, um, and her beautiful discoveries around that behavior. And, um, we just, we just talk about such beautiful things. Um, and she's a very articulate, very smart, very spiritual, um, and expanded human. And I just, I'm so happy to bring this to you and I'm so happy that this is our season premiere and, um, I'm so happy that you're here and that we're back and I hope you enjoy. Hi. It is a skeleton. And you have to discover where the bones go. What I need for my life, I am drawn to create the play. And you must use the play. You must use it like an ingredient wait, wait. for your. Are you at your? It looks like you're in a trailer at work. 
I'm in a trailer at home. I live in a trailer. You do? <laughs> I do. What? Can you tell me about that situation? Yeah. So I always wanted to live someplace small. Okay. And um, like, like, I love tiny homes. And, you know, when COVID hit, I spent four months in my uh, my uh, Los Angeles apartment by myself. Um, didn't hug a human for four months. Um, and I had the option of, of coming back to rural South Carolina where my family is, where um, my brother and his girlfriend and baby had moved from New York um, when COVID hit, um, had never met my niece. Uh, and, and I was like, you know, why don't I go over there? No one's working. And I had been thinking about coming here anyway. I rented a little cottage for a couple of months and then found out that some friends of ours that are, um, their property comes right up against my parents' property, um, that they had a trailer and they were like, would you like to rent it? And I saw it and I loved it and I came and I've been so happy. Whoa. Um, it's one of my favorite places I've ever lived. Whoa. Yeah. No way. Wait, so can I, can I see it? Like yeah, you can see it. It's a little tour of your computer. Yeah, absolutely. So you're what you're gonna see also is let me turn the camera. No, oh, maybe I won't turn the camera. Just turn this. What oh, you can oh, see oh, also, wow. there's my stuff that's being packed up to go um, to Los Angeles next week. Or yeah, Sunday. So coming back. My bedroom. Yeah, I'm I'm going back to LA for about seven weeks for a project and then I'll be back here. Wait, can I say something? Your trailer doesn't look like I imagine trailers would like is it a trailer or a mobile home? Or is there a difference? It's a so it's a it's a camper trailer. Basically this is the kind that you would hitch onto the back of a truck. Like it's super cute. Like super it's so cute. cute. Well um, the, my landlord redid it because apparently it was, you know, like 1995 horrible beach Got it. pink, uh -huh. like, and, um, and my landlord repainted things as this, this kind of like rustic gray, like slate blue color. And, um, it is so soothing and I love it. And I do um slam my head against stuff from time to time because yeah. it's little like if if anything's changed in the space huh. I will hit my head so yeah. if I put yeah. a bag down in the wrong place on the floor I'm gonna hit my head somewhere because it's changed my peripheral vision and um so it requires some mindfulness yeah which yeah. never get too much of um it requires some uh, foresight because the fridge is small, everything's small. So I just have to have what I need here. Uh -huh. um, but it's got a lot of storage, funny enough. And I've been trying to reduce, reduce, reduce for the last few years. So it helps. So does, did this meet your need of living in a tiny space? I mean, yeah. and so what I, has it done for you, yeah. like in your body and heart? <sighs> Hmm. Or I guess more the question is, and what I'm curious about is, like, what did you imagine it would do, and has it done that? Well, I am somebody who gets really distracted by a lot of um, visual chaos. Mm. So the idea of having a lot of stuff, even if I kind of have to imagine that the stuff is there, can be overwhelming for me. Um, so I always loved, for example, being in hotel rooms. Mm -hmm. Just like a small space where there's not a lot of clutter and, um, and 
it's just little and I like I feel comfortable I can think better I can write better there's just something about um kind of not having my mind have to wander on whatever is around me because the space is small or it's very simple so that I could also I would love to live in a loft space that had very little in it as well Mm. um but there's also something about this that feels a bit womb-like I think and um I know I mean I've heard a lot of stories about my mom's pregnancy with me she loved being pregnant with me, even though she was very, very sick in the beginning and like had to be hospitalized. But after that, um, she just loved it. And I don't know if there's a part of me that kind of held on to this feeling of like, it's just nice to be in like a cozy little room. Um, so I've always liked, like one of the apartments I've lived in over the years had a a big walk-in closet and I turned that into my bedroom so that my bedroom could be a bigger living room wow. and I just yeah I never I met an artist once who made coffins for people as an art installation and I was like when you're done with those what's up <laughs> like I'll sleep in that I don't know I just like being contained yeah and so obviously it sounds like I mean especially because so you're with your parents now in South Carolina and your brother and yeah I'm about a 10 minute walk through the woods to them so and then so do you see them every day not every sometimes I see them every day and then there's, there's periods like right now um I, because I'm preparing for this move and preparing for the show I'm I'm just working a lot from home. It's a lot of correspondence and pre- you know preparation, character. I don't know what show you're on? And I'm sorry that I don't know right. No, now. no, no. It's okay. You you don't know because it hasn't been made yet. Um, so it's a pilot. Um, it's called Triage. Uh, it'll be with ABC. Oh. And um, yeah. So is it an emergency? I mean, obviously triage that would suggest like an emergency room kind of. It's, it's set at a hospital. Um, the story is, it, it's a, it's about Dr. Finley Breyer, who I play, and the people in her life over a period of, well, three time periods. It starts in 2011, and also in 2021, and also in 2031. Uh, and, and the aim is that each episode will spend time in all three time periods. And basically, we see how people develop emotionally physically spiritually during those times um how the characters examine gender race um public health because obviously if we're coming in at 2021 we're we're coming in post-covid chills all over yeah so you know it's finley is a is a surgeon she's a trauma surgeon and like an excellent trauma surgeon and the people that she interacts with are really the best of the best at what they do mm-hmm. um living in new york mm-hmm. so very much in the midst of um all the action and yeah. and I mean, here we are like in the midst of sort of some national trauma right or or at yeah. least seeing the results of what has been some national trauma maybe for hundreds of years and um certainly for the last four years um we're so anyway how how apropos yeah it feels very very timely and it's been really interesting seeing just the kind of um synchronicities that keep coming up i i've noticed on certain projects that feel really particularly special that there'll be a lot of coincidences that 
that pop up a lot of you know things happening in the story that also are happening in people's personal lives and and this has been happening a lot with this project um and it's a really wonderful kind of soulful um group of people who have lots of experience in the industry but have not allowed that to take away their sense of wonder or um, hopefulness. Mm -hmm. So the show really, you know, reflects that. It really does. The, the, the show really aims to address a number of issues that are happening around us, but also through the characters um, in, you know, in really authentic ways. So it's, it's exciting. I've, you know, I've only read a couple of the scripts so far and I can tell you that they already go to places that I haven't seen uh, on network television. So wow. I'm really excited about that. Oh my gosh. I am so excited for you. Can you talk a little bit um, about like how this part came into your life and when, and, and were there synchronicities surrounding that? Do you feel like you summoned it? Do you feel like it kind of like came out of nowhere? I mean, tell me about that process well you know it was interesting my sorry the reason I'm asking you this and I like to say this always on this podcast because even though I am an actor and like I want to geek out on acting and acting jobs and acting stuff and all the things in actuality my my purpose with this podcast is to reach non-actors and um because I feel like, you know, at its best acting is, is really a, a spiritual practice. And, Absolutely. um, and so, so I'm like, I ask you about this job cause it sounds like such a special one, but really like m m the broader lens through which I ask this question is, is about reaching people who might want a big change in their life or might want mm -hmm. to summon amazing things coming to them, things that they want and dream of. I mean, you're about to be the lead in this pilot. That's, you know, about million, I don't know how many actors in the world, that's their dream come true. And so for people everywhere, like if, if they have a dream that and so, so I'm just curious for you how this particular dream, or if it was a dream for you, how this came into being. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, I do feel like so much of what we do as actors is, is universal. And I also feel like, I mean, I truly believe all of us have the capacity to do, to do this art form. I really do. I believe we all have the capacity to do any art form. And we just happen to live in a, a culture that says only certain people get to do certain things. But, um, but I, I will say the way that this came to me was, it was very interesting. And it's something that I've noticed throughout my career is that when I feel internally that I've reached a place where I've either learned a thing or I'm ready to learn something, something falls into my path um, that gives me an opportunity to exercise whatever that thing is. And, um, and, I, and I'm learning to kind of sense that more mm. and kind of sense even the feeling in my body of space mm. where it's like something's coming. Um, and I've noticed in my own life in particular, often really kind of large, exciting things follow large, difficult things. Mm -hmm. And there's just kind of a balancing that I, that I see in my life. And I, and I think a lot of people 
when we look at the way our lives go, we notice that there are certain trends. And it doesn't mean like you can control everything in your life because you know what the trends are in your own life. But it does help to kind of give a sense of peace and uh, acceptance of what's happening and of the, the waves that come and go. Um, but this in particular, I remember speaking with my manager who is also very intuitive. She's a very intuitive person. And, she, you know, we had very little was coming in for a while. Um, everybody kind of, you know, closed up shop and you well, know I mean, this is are you talking about like March, April or or May? Well actually I guess I should back it up a little bit more. So right before COVID began, I I booked a different pilot. And um so for anybody who's listening who doesn't know pilots are the first episode of a show um where you're in a sense auditioning the show. If if the network likes the pilot, then hopefully you get an entire season ordered. Um, and I had read this pilot, thought it was one of the best pilot scripts I'd ever read, and was really excited to work with the people. It ended up coming together. I, I booked this role, flew to New York in almost a hazmat suit because there was talk of what was going on, yeah. but but this was mid-March, and, and people were still, like, I think maybe one other person on the flight was wearing a mask. Mm. And... Um, Three days later, we had to wrap production, and I had to catch a flight right back to New York. Many more people were wearing masks. It was we thought we were going to break for a few weeks. Mm. Um, by the time I landed, it was clear it was going to be months. Mm. Um, within days, we were like, maybe it's going to be a year, um, because as as the information started really pouring in we started realizing there's no way we can work the way that we have um this is in particular the the the, the show that i was going to do is very a lot of physical intimacy um not just sexual intimacy but physical intimacy and it was going to be shot in two different places one of which would have required a, a flight over water wow. so um it just looked logistically nearly impossible to pull it off. And eventually the show had to, um, had to go away. And that, so, how did you feel about that? Like when that happened, was that very disappointing to you or did it uh, tell me about that? Um, at the point that it happened, it wasn't, but that was because I think by the time, by the time we found out that it wasn't going to happen, it was about two months into COVID, I want to say, two, three months in. Mm-hmm. Um, the ride that we'd been on, all of us humans, was so extreme. I was living in Hollywood at the time, like basically on uh, Sunset and Vine. Wow. So I was in the midst of the protests mm-hmm. daily and listening to explosions going off and my fridge was filled with milk bottles in case somebody was getting tear gassed. I mean, it was like a whole, we, you know, we weren't going out on the streets unless we absolutely had to. It was, you know, just people were, um, neighbors were contacting each other that had never met before, just trying to be like, how can we help? It was a very, the feeling of being on the front lines of a, of a really intense situation. Um, I was also just broken by what happened with George Floyd, the Amy Cooper thing, everything around it. Um, 
you know, it brought up a lot of old stuff. I had a lot, had had a lot of experiences of police brutality as a teenager. Um, Luckily, not physically with myself, but I witnessed them physically with friends. I was, I'd I'd been threatened to be taken to jail. There were all kinds of things that I'd seen that that brought up. And, um, and I think just the collective energy was so intense that by the time, um, well, I'll say this. I continued to create my character during this time because for me, this is the job is not just being on set. The job is thinking about what they're thinking about and stuff. Like basically once I started a job, I'm thinking two sets of thoughts uh-huh. and having two sets of feelings all, almost all the time. Um, so yeah. by the time we've, yeah, wait, mm-hmm. sorry, I just want to like, um, no, no, no. So sorry. This is to clarify that. So, so, um, you hadn't yet found out that this other show wasn't going. Was well, no. So you were still kind of in process with that um, feeling and thinking, sort of like as another person may have been feeling or thinking what was happening in the world at that moment. Um, more specifically, I'm living in the, like their world and my world at the same time because their world didn't include what was going on in ours. Mm. Um, so. It's, you know, whenever I start a project, um, at the very least, there's sort of a just kind of low grade presence of it in in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. And it'll pop up when things happen Mm -hmm. um, in my life. Sometimes something will happen in my life that directly impacts what's going on with the character or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, But at that, at that point, we still were waiting to find out what was happening with the show. Um, and I knew it was going to be very, very hard to pull off a show that, that required two very separate and very different locations, given what was going on. Um, so I had a sense that it might not work. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time we found out it wasn't going to happen, um, I ha- I'd had an experience of this character and story already. So I felt fulfilled mm-hmm. creatively. That's really beautiful. Um, now, but also thankfully, oh, sorry, even though you felt, felt fulfilled creatively, even though it, it hadn't been seen by anyone. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause you'd lived through, you had lived through the thoughts and the feelings like you felt complete with this other person essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the way that I approach my, my work is that I've been called for some reason to join with kind of the energy of that person, um, whether they're a person who actually lived or didn't. Um, for some reason, at the, at this particular time, the world called for that particular energy to be out here. So my job is to embody it as well as possible. Um, and and to express it as well as possible. So, I mean, would I have loved to also have expressed it to an audience? Sure. But even, you know, when we are making stuff, the awareness of the audience is not the primary awareness at all. You, you have to be in what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about the audience outside of what I do. You know, I think about the audience when I'm in the makeup trailer, the hair trailer, when I'm, when I'm like, this, if something doesn't look real and I think it's going to take the audience out, yeah, I, you know, or, or something I'm doing 
or something in the story feels like it's not, it's you know something's not ringing true um but other than that then we get in and we play and and so i got a chance to do so much of that and the project was very much about isolation as well so um so it 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 was I had I had a pretty complete experience with it, and I'm grateful. I love um, it so much. Okay, so okay, so then you find out that's not. So I find out it's not happening, and and to um, to the network's credit, we we were able to be paid for the work that we did, even though it wasn't the entire thing. And you know that was a huge deal. I mean, as everybody knows right now, it we just don't know where the next check is going to come from which is another reason I like to live in small places because I like to be able to choose the work that I do and not have it have the choice be driven entirely by um, material necessity because I mean you got to eat you got to eat you got to be safe and and um, but you know this is this is an expensive job for me like I I put a lot of, I put a lot of my income and energy back into my work. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I need to be as careful as possible about how I approach my life so that I can keep doing things that make me feel good. I apologize if you're going to be hearing a rooster for several minutes now. Yeah, um, now, several <laughs> minutes, what is this like rooster time? What's happening? He is a young rooster, and he doesn't, did you hear that? Yeah. He, he, he crows in the afternoon. He crows in the morning also, but this is like his time when he really goes to town. His name is Nora, Nora Jones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> apparently he was sold as a lady chick. And Wait, this is real. You didn't name him Nora Jones? He came like that? No, he, well, he was named while he was a chick and then grew into an adult oh, male, or he's a teenager, a male teenager. Um, but um, he's my landlord's chicken. There's, we have four chickens, um, six horses, four dogs. Um, I don't know how many cats live here. A lot of cats. Um, and, and we just share this property and it's kind of blissful. So Nora Jones starts saying, okay, I want to go back to the property and the whole experience of your, I want to talk a little bit about your mom and wombs, but um, I really first want to hear about like how this job came to be and like all yes. the synchronicities surrounding it for you. Okay. I wish I could share all the synchronicities, but I can't. Some of them are, I have to hold on to, but okay. I will say, um, you know, this particular job came at, at a period when I'd had quite a while off. Um, because so when, um, when you're, uh, when you're contracted to one thing and you can't really, you know, you can't really do anything else. Um, you can audition for a few things, but it, it's really, it depends because someone else owns your time essentially. Uh, so for, for a few months I had, nothing come in. Um, I started writing, I had actually started writing at the beginning of the, um, uh, of the pandemic, a, a pilot. Uh, and, um, and so that's been a really fun experience. So I had that. Um, I, I lost my grandmother right 
before I moved out here, the, the two, was it two days before I was moved to move? Um, which was, a, for those losing people during COVID, it's like, it's the most disorienting, um, thing. Um, she was like a third parent for me and we were very, very close my entire life. And I, you know, to have no one to even hug or, or even to be able to say, I'm getting on the first plane or anything like that was so, it was just very disorienting. And I remember, um, squeezing myself into a corner Mm. (laughs) in my apartment, Mm -hmm. um, kind of not real consciously sort of semi-consciously um trying to sort of take in what I had just heard over the phone it was very sudden her passing and so it was very unexpected and um and just knowing that there was no way to hug anyone or um you know have the normal things that follow a passing where it's like a friend comes and brings you you know something to eat or you know makes a cup of tea like none of those things were possible um and that you would squeeze into a corner it's sort of like like the closest you could get to an inanimate hug yeah (laughs) yeah I remember at the time I mean and this is sort of the weird thing about being an actor is like observing myself and being like oh huh okay in a corner, huh? That's okay. <laughs> that makes sense. You know, there's always this, this voice in my head that's kind of just there and, and, and taking note. Yeah. Um, Cause I really didn't. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Well, I was just uh, quickly, like, I, I think that is one of, uh, that is one of the things that makes acting a spiritual practice is that we always, we, we, for our, for our craft, we've been trained to maintain a, a, a witnessing awareness, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is a, a really, a, a beautiful practice actually to, to, for us all to bring into our lives. Um, because in times of, intense pain or even intense joy we can sort of see that 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 we can we can be in it and not of it you know what I mean yeah um yeah that's like and that's a a practice we you know that in that way we sort of get to we have some agency over how swept up we are in whatever the circumstance is that's presenting itself in our lives yeah it it I think it's a practice that has helped me be a lot more compassionate towards others because it, I mean, there are different things you can do with that observation. You know, you can, you can observe things that are going on in your life and try to mimic them um, whenever you're acting, which for me doesn't draw me. I, that doesn't kind of sit well for me. Um, but we can also do is use them as touchstones for what feels true. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so observing these things and kind of going like in particular observing some of your shortcomings in that way can be helpful because um for one so that you can be truthful in character but also so that you can you can kind of see where other people are coming from at different times and you see how similar you are which is um humbling 
Um, pretty much, I mean, I can think of, you know, everything that's hurt me that someone else has done. I'm sure I've done some flavor of to someone else or to myself and, um, trying to remember that and think compassionately about them while still holding on to justice. Because that's important. Like you can't say like, oh, well, I would have done that. I, I've done that thing too. So I deserve to be, you know, in pain or s- stolen from or whatever the thing is. But um, but I think cultivating the practice of just observing yourself really does help you to remember when you see things in other people um, that you're both human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like if there's, you know, any time, hopefully that can remind us of our humanity, it's when, you know, two or more than 200,000 people have died in, in America from the same illness in the last, you know, I don't know, and more. And um, also when like every single time we turn on the news, there's somebody else who isn't being murdered um, <laughs> at the hands of police for no reason other than that they're black or, you know, particularly. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, I mean, it's just what's happening right now is just really hopefully a, s- a stunning reminder to how vulnerable um, we are as humans and mm-hmm. um, and how some of us are much more vulnerable than yeah. us for no fucking reason at all it, or for hundreds of years of you know, reasons. Um, yeah. So um, anyway, we can, uh, and, and I, I'm happy to talk as much about that as you want. Me too. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it, but, but I also, but I, but also like, I, I want to, I want to talk about your human experience, like the immediate experience. And, and I, and I, and I want to talk about all of it. <laughs> it's so crazy right now. Cause there's so much to talk about, like, particularly like I've never, we've never been alive. I don't think in a time where there's so much to talk about and, and, mm-hmm. and such insane goodness and like, incredible things happening at the same time that such tragedy and inhumanity and atrocities are happening it's like what an 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 crazy time to be alive totally unprecedented um so but but i but but i i think like to root us into um a conversation that is both extremely universal and very personal. I think the best way to do that is to talk about your personal experience in this moment. Um, and I, you know, I, I sort of cut you off and I'm so sorry for your loss of your grandmother. It sounds like such a, just what a sad thing and that you went through that in that moment. So you're, you're in this corner and, um, and so Okay, so how, so then what then what happened and how does this sort of connect to where you're at now and this job and all of the things? Um, so what happened was I had to use some of the skills that I've been learning during this pandemic, which because I definitely learned things about myself I didn't know were there uh, or developed new things. Well, like, um, like for one, I one of the things that like really struck me is. The, I have I, no problem crying, but I dis- I discovered that I wail mm. from certain things. And I was like, how did I reach this age and never heard myself wail before? And I've been through some stuff, but like just the day in, day out um, 
trauma that came through the the just the day in day out of it um literally found places in my body that you know for emotion to come through that I didn't you know I didn't know about so I was like well that's an interesting thing so um but another thing that I learned about myself was that I actually can compartmentalize quite well Mm -hmm. um and that was something that you know was required because I couldn't I I would have completely gone under I mean the first few weeks of the pandemic you know the lockdown were very sweet for me um and then I just hit a wall Mm -hmm. just hit a wall and um and really struggled just felt so depressed and um and then when everything happened with the unrest in the in the country I had a few days of utter grief, just such grief, and then got some opportunities to be of service. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I I had experience in the past of conducting discussions on race, and I got some opportunities to do that again with young people. And all of a sudden, I found this part of myself that had joy, even in the face of this difficulty, even while directly addressing the difficulty, I could get joy from that. Um, and you like the joy of being in service, is that, I mean, is that sort of um, like what brought not, joy? The joy came from seeing movement. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing, I got so much hope just from seeing, like the first time we did one of these discussions for youth, we'd about 200 young people come on from the ages of 10 to 30 um all hungry for for like what we were talking about spiritual solutions to racism and and they were hungry to talk about this and hear about it and um just even seeing how many people felt like that was wonderful um being in my apartment and um you know, being in meetings about this, you know, and this kind of work, while, while, you know, masses of people are passing by under my window, um, yelling Black Lives Matter, and stuff, like, like, there were things that you could really feel the movement forward. And, and that was one of the things that I really had to, to look at was the difference between the pain that was happening now and the other things that were actually in motion. Mm-hmm. And and putting more of my energy into the things that were in motion mm-hmm. made a huge difference, and it just made me happy. Um, it makes me happy when I see somebody doing something great. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. beautiful. I mean, it really is beautiful what you're saying, and 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 honestly, very profound. And I'm sure that within those days where you put your attention on the motion forward um, more than the you know everything else that could have weighed you down there were also days wherein like that felt impossible and you were too weighed down yeah. to put your attention on the motion forward but these are then I put my attention into pancakes yeah <laughs> like for real did you put your attention was, into the pancakes it was well what I noticed was at first my attention was in pancakes was it? Did it go? Pan- it was pancakes first. So was it, it was like every day you're making pancakes. Is that how did it go? Oh yeah, it was like for that for lunch totally, and also dinner 
Oh yeah, <laughs> no problem. And then so that lasted for about a week or so. And I was like, this has to end. I can't have pancakes for every meal. I'm moving on to ice cream. And, um, and so I was having this like vegan ice cream because I can't eat dairy. It's like vegan ice cream, you know, and I was like, oh, I never knew that ice cream could be delivered to your home. Great, it can. Um, so um, I'm having ice cream, you know, I'm like clearly you're not gonna have ice cream for breakfast, but lunch and dinner and dessert, obviously, um, that worked. And then, and then, and I just, I've learned enough in my, cause I, cause I've also, I have experience with, um, with dealing with e distorted eating yeah. and, and part of my recovery from that has been in being able to just observe where I'm at. It's not just about like having some sort of pristine, uh, program of things, what I eat and stuff. It's also about how I relate to what I eat. Mm -hmm. And so I just observed it. I was kind to myself about it. When I could, I ate a vegetable, um, yeah. tried to drink my water. Um, and and by, the th by the time I was coming out of the ice cream phase, I, I suddenly moved into, um, into hamburgers and fries. And I was like, that, I need that all day. <laughs> and then I realized, I was like, oh my God, you just moved, you're moving through your childhood. Mm. Huh that makes sense wow. it's like like when I sat back and I looked at it and I was like of course I mean this shit's are we allowed to cuss on the show sorry yeah yeah it was, it's a good, I mean this shit knocked me back into like kindergarten wow. and and you know so and and like a kid you know I was like I I just want to watch cartoons all day except my cartoons are pose but um yeah. but like but like I just want to watch you know I want to watch stuff all day um, I want to be in my pajamas, um, and, and I want pancakes and I want somebody else to make this better. Mm. Like I want somebody else to do this. Is somebody else going to come and put me to bed? I wish somebody would put me to bed. Like, I just really wanted somebody to just move me through the day. The, the closest thing I could get was pancakes. Um, and then, you know, and then I graduated to a point where I was like, I had a little bit more agency. And I was like, it's now it's just about like, I can eat a great healthy meal. It's dessert that I, I'm in charge of. Right. And, and then it was like, oh yeah, I'm a teenager now and I'm going to eat like burgers and fries and stuff. And, you know, have, like, I'm not going to drink a soda cause that's too much sugar. I'll just have a kombucha, but right. you know, um, yeah. and, and then it settled, you know, it as settled. it does, right. As it does mm -hmm. when we can, um, you know, have some agency in meeting our own needs or as kids too. And when our parents met our needs, the needs change. Once the need yeah. is met, the need gets met. And yeah. like the saddest thing is to have a need that repeatedly goes unmet or mm -hmm. is, and, 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 in the, and then the need persists, you know, but you very lovingly met your own need. Okay. So, all right. So hold on. I, I do want to say this. It wasn't all loving because my body changed during it, of course. And, and I'm like, oh, look, you're, you're extra fluffy now. Aww. And then I'm like, Parisa, who the fuck is looking? Who's going to see this? Like, really chill. <laughs> like, look at your body. Look at this amazing, like, this amazing co collection of cells that's like, hey, um, terror is happening everywhere. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we ought to have a layer of protection. 
got it, Absolutely. you know, and trying to be kind about that too. So it's process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also though, like, I mean, you know, it, I just want to like, I mean, I just, I have so much like love for you in this very moment, even though you and I have never met face to face, but I, I, um, like you're stunning, like you're a stunning, <laughs> stunning being. And like, I mean, I just like, you know, whatever, like fluffiness, the pancakes brought you, it just like your, your being is, is, is radiant. Like you could gain a hundred pounds and you'd still be, um, stunning you know, just, Thank you. um, okay. I received that. I well, received that. well, so, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt my own process here. Cause I'm we're now, now yeah, we're never going to talk about the show. <laughs> well, I want to talk about, I, I want to get to the synchronicities. That was my focus. And now I'm changing that because we, and we're going to go back to it because that's really important to me. But since we're here, since we're on childhood and pancakes and meeting your own needs, um, mm-hmm. can we talk about your mom and like, and in your relationship with her and, and, sure. um, and of course I don't know your mom. Um, um, but you know, it says something to me that, um, that you went to South Carolina to be close to her and, um, and, and that you know about your pregnancy and that you seek womb-like spaces. Um, all of this to me indicates that you probably have a really nice soothing relationship with your mom. Is that true? Mm-hmm. I do. I do. It's a relationship that we've both worked out in my whole life. Um, and it's been such an, a, a fantastic example for me. Um, I, you know, my, what can I say here? Um, my mom experienced a lot of trauma growing up and set an example for my brother and I of of really working on that, healing it, um, and bringing the healing home. So I remember when I was probably about nine years old, we were in the car together, and um, I can't believe, I have to pause for a second and just say, I can't believe I'm bringing it, like, I'm trying, we're having all these, like, these emotional topics, and what listeners may not know is that my face is painted like a a lion right now because it's so Lisa's wearing Halloween lion makeup and she manages to still be like the most stunning creature that I've almost beheld I mean you she has white we're gonna take a picture okay we're gonna take yeah. a picture so you'll see it somewhere but there will be a picture she has like white she by the way great makeup did you do this yourself thanks it, I did I'm still working on it um I'm still working on it, it, it but like, yeah deep eyeliner and some white thank you youtube little, like yeah she did a youtube t- tutorial or something because it's really good mm-hmm. yeah okay but so <laughs> maybe you'll cry off your lion makeup oh. who knows i might cry off my lion makeup <laughs> it might happen um but so we were in the car together i'm about nine years old and my mom my mom said to me um i'm totally gonna cry god um she said, I would, I'm not going to hug you anymore without your permission. Mm. I, I want to respect your boundaries. And I remember at the time having two thoughts. One was like, mom, that's so silly. And that's what I said to her, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, no. And she's like, 
she said, I can, you, you don't mind if I hug you anytime. And, and, and we were like, no. And she's like, okay, thank you. I remember that coming out of my mouth, but I remember registering like, she respects me. Mm. Oh my God. Now I'm crying. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that I had the words to say that then, but it stayed in my body, if that makes sense. Like when I, when I got older, I knew exactly that that was what I processed from it. She respects me Mm. and she sees herself as separate from me, even though she sees herself as my caretaker. Mm. And that was such a massive lesson, especially because I think so many of us, Uh, women in particular are encouraged to enmesh ourselves with people in particular if we love them. Mm -hmm. And my mom is a very tender, affectionate person. So it's not like she was cold and saying like, you know, if you'd like to schedule a hug, we can do that. You know, like (laughs) she, she, she was somebody who we always spooned with and, you know, like, just all the snuggling but she had learned something that day and and brought it home you know and that's she just kept working on herself um and and she still is and um and she's I don't think she fully absorbs how big of an impact that had on me, but it really shaped my whole life. Um, She's also been willing to own her shortcomings. Um, My mother is white. I'm half black. I grew up in the South and am partly in Jamaica with my dad. And racism was, has always been an issue. Um, my mother's had shortcomings around that, things that she said, um, you know, kind of microaggressions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's owned that, too. There were things she didn't know were hurtful, you know, or things that maybe she thought were hurtful in the moment because we have, like, our shitty moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's owned them, and she's also given me permission to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And, and for me that's massive because i see like there are a lot of mixed families in which the the white person in particular is 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 supposed to be a pristine example of Mm non-racism as if as if any of us get out of this unscathed yeah like as if that even it fucking exists no like people like oh my you know my children are black i can't be racist really because a lot a lot of slave masters had black kids. Oh it was kind of it was kind of their thing. <laughs> so well, um, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, this country is built on a white supremacist delusion. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're living, yeah. we're Americans, we're fucking racist. You know, yeah. I mean, we're. I mean, by the way, uh, you know, I mean, I, I mean, if, if we're white Americans, we are upholding racist laws. Well, I mean, not just white Americans, white supremacy doesn't need white people anymore. Right. It, it can, it doesn't even need people anymore. Mm -hmm. If you look at like the work of um, Dr. Ruha Benjamin, who works on like um, how racism and, and anti-blackness and white supremacy interact with tech, Mm. like 
there it's written into algorithms. It literally doesn't need humans anymore, which is, I think, a great way that we can sort of take a load off in a way of the guilt stuff. Yeah. Because it's not helpful for growth. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and go, oh, okay, so this is a thing that, that can survive without me, but I, but I have it all over me anyway. What do I do about my peace? Because the, the thing is, we have internalized racism, we have institutionalized racism, there's interpersonal racism, there's all kinds of racism that hurt people on various levels and, and hurt white people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, it's, yeah. this is- I'm looking at Cast right now and there's, um, have you read Cast yet? No, I heard it's great. Um, but this, this, she talks about, I mean, so many examples, but one example that I listened to today, um, was this um, baseball player and now I'm going to forget his name, but he was like the best pitcher, a a black, a black pitcher who was like the best, 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 best. And they wouldn't let him into the major leagues. This is, you know, I don't, I don't know. And I'm terrible with history, but it's like the 1940s, I would imagine. And they wouldn't let him in and they wouldn't let him in. And that, but then like over the course of his career, they kept like inviting him and he would pitch anyone. I mean, he was renowned as like the best pitcher, maybe even of all time. And it, it, it was like, in, it hurt baseball. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. it hurts white people that white people couldn't say like, mm-hmm. Hey man, come please. We need you. But mm-hmm. because you're black, we can't, we can't give you that. You know, we can't yeah. um, see past our own racists, racism. Right. And that, you know, that present prevented people from rising up in their own game, mm-hmm. you know, because if you have somebody, if you have somebody around you, that's like next level, it drives you forward. Um, so just on that level, you can see the example, but also even like, you know, I think one of the biggest, but hardest to pin down examples is the spiritual impact, um, the spiritual and, and psychological impact of racism. Yeah, so Tom, um, you said the split. The you you spoke about the spiritual solutions to racism. Like, what? Tell me about that. Well, I think the thing is, like, this is a belief that that I have. I, I grew up um, in the Baha'i faith and and internalizing t- those teachings and trying to live out those teachings now. Um, and one of the biggest things it talks about is that 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 is the oneness of humanity. Mm-hmm. That we truly do not fathom how connected we are yet but that we are essentially like cells in one body now is that from your mom like or your dad like where did you both actually my parents met at a Baha'i conference so they were both Baha'is um and I say where my my father passed away um about 15 years ago but um but the the I grew up with it one of the main teachings of the Baha'i faith is that truth should be sought independently. So even though you teach your children about it, um, ideally you teach them about all of the aspects of religion. Baha'is believe that all religion is one as well, that they're basically like chapters in a book rather than competitors. So, um, so I grew up attending church with friends and learning about the different messengers, uh, you know, Muhammad and, and Christ and Krishna and Buddha and like, um, and so Baha'is are encouraged then to choose for themselves when they're teenagers, usually around the symbolic age of 15, which is like the spiritual, the age of spiritual maturity um, in the Baha'i faith. Um, 
and then that's when we're responsible for our own journeys. But people like there are Baha'is who, you know, I mean, lots of people become Baha'is as an adult, but also there are people who grown up in it, come away from it, come back. For me, I'm constantly kind of reassessing my relationship with, with spirituality and religion. And, um, but it sounds and like that supported by the faith that you grew up in. Hugely. I mean, the, there are specific writings in, in the Baha'i faith about the issues of um, racism in the United States. So even though this was born in, in Persia in the 1800s, they, part of the writings talk about a very spirit, a special spiritual destiny for the United States, but that, that we, we absolutely had to, as our most vital and challenging issue to deal with, address racism in particular between the black and the white race and and it speaks about how like if we don't deal with it it really will be the destruction of america um it will it will destroy things from within and also leave us to like vulnerable to outside um forces that don't want america to thrive and you can see you see it happening it's happening right now it's happening right now yeah. Um, so, you know, but it talks about like really the, the only antidote to this. And in some ways, this is a, an inevitable process according to these teachings. Um, and of course, you know, everyone has their own and I would never want to take someone else's, um, assessment of the world away from them. Um, unless they were hurting people, that's a whole other story, but, um, but, but that's, by but, the way, that's such a respectful statement, what you just said. And, um, you know, your mom was very respectful of you and that, I mean, it, it, we have to give people the dignities of their own journeys, but mm-hmm. I agree with you. If those, if those journeys are actively causing suffering, then that needs to be addressed. That needs to be addressed. And there are many ways to address that, you know, like, which is one of the things, I think this is where it comes back again to the spiritual process, um, which I do want to differentiate from religious because I think um, in an ideal situation, religion helps people connect spiritually to themselves and each other for the most part in the world that hasn't been the case so in the same way that like you know ideally marriage connects spouses and and brings about union and stuff eh, you know about 50 percent of the time in the states it does not achieve that um and in the ones that last it's probably pretty hellish inside some of those too so you know the, separating the institution from the actual practice that to me is important um but you know i will say these teachings talking about the importance of dealing with racism um and also the belief that that humanity is one entity one one family um and that the more we the more we lean into that the more it 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 kind of puts water on the flames of other things, mm. all kinds of other things, mm. all kinds of disagreements. Because um, this is the thing, white supremacy is near the root of what's wrong with the United States. Um, but I think under it is this is this global disease of the ignorance of the oneness of humanity. Mm. So only because of that can you convince people of things that like, well, this color is better than that one, or this cast is better than this one, or this per- person with this hair, or this person born on this side of this line versus this side of this line. 
like we all have the same disease. It's just manifesting in different ways. And one of the most kind of virul virulent and um, and harm like really widely harmful ways is white supremacy and how it affects everything that the United States does. And whether you know our our greatness as a nation is debatable in you know depending on how you're looking at it but our ability to impact the world is massive and that is i think you know everybody would agree on that we're like you know we sometimes behave like that jacked up uncle that comes to the party and it's like yeah he's not the person everybody wants to go to for advice or anything but he will shut your party down and um, and I think that that's where we're at and we have to realize like, man, this, our uncle needs to be in rehab, like yeah. he needs rehab, he needs some deep healing, he needs to go to school, he needs, we, like if he's going to keep coming to the party, he's got to have a complete um, new way of living his life. And I think that that's where we're at right now. We're like the uncle who's like throwing up in the, in the bushes outside the house right now and shitting its pants. Um, who also has amazing qualities and that's why he gets invited you know each time you hope he's going to show up and be um and be his best and i really believe that we have the capacity for that as a nation um we really have that capacity it's just really hard to remember it sometimes when when we're shitting in our pants so. Oh my gosh. All I could do is just try and like keep my lips shut for a second because everything you just said is just, just truth. I mean, you just like spoke some truth. So thank <laughs> you for that. That's just really beautiful. And I couldn't agree more with everything that you just said. Um, we are, this, this uncle needs some fucking rehab. I mean, we need some real real, 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 real deep. And, and all we can hope is that it doesn't take as long as, um, you know, or, or that, that he doesn't die first. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think he'll die, <laughs> but he may not come through this looking the way he thought he was going to look. Yeah. I and do I think, I mean, God, like, that's what we need. That's what this time I think yeah. is giving us. That's the, that's the only real opportunity here is that we won't come we won't come through this looking the same. We can't. I hope. Yeah. I know. I really hope that this is, that we take this shot and, and do, and really reorder ourselves with it because we ha we've had opportunities. We look at, you know, 9-11 happened and, and our response was like, that's terrible. You should shot. <laughs> yeah. That's what will, yes, that'll get them. Yeah. Retail therapy. Yeah. I remember seeing a sign up because I was I was living in Jersey City at the time and and happened to be away when when the planes hit. Um, but coming back to lower Manhattan and seeing a big sign up that was like retail therapy. And I was like, really, did we just completely miss this opportunity? And so I was like, yeah, everyone's like, yeah, let's let's definitely get in debt. That'll feel better. But I think that this is what comes, this is one of the things when I was talking about this, the spiritual and, and, and emotional ramifications of, of slavery on white people. And I'm not saying that only white people were going through, you know, the, the difficulties that happened after 9-11, but there's a particular thing. We know that white supremacy, it's happening because there's a, an ability for a majority or at least people who have the majority of the power to affect the way that things happen. Mm -hmm. and 
And we're talking about, um, and this is just theoretical, it's my own personal opinion, but it's like in the hundreds of years that African people were enslaved, on the other side were white people, and this is, again, I just want to say this is not to, to, to absolve anyone of anything. It's just to step back and go, like, what was happening here? Mm-hmm. Um, the white people there, you don't think they heard screaming in the night? Of course they did. Or people being dragged through the woods, people speaking words. When they were told that they were animals, they were told they had no souls. And yet these people kept wanting to worship. And, and this is a time, we're talking about a time in, in the United States when to show a little ankle was a lot mm-hmm. for a lady. Mm-hmm. You don't do that. But these were, there were naked human beings on auction blocks in the center of towns. You don't think people had to develop a, an extremely keen, strong, like, titanium level um of denial yeah in particular in the face of black pain it had to be in like there's we're talking about hundreds of years of of an effect on synapses on dna you learn when you see someone who is black and they're in pain this is fine Mm. you have to because otherwise you'll lose your mind Mm. and you're talking about like like so many women who were married to people who owned people who might have been able to say, I don't own people. My husband owns people. They still had to look around and go, gosh, those kids look a lot like my husband. Mm. Um, I believe it was like the 18, there was a census around 1850 that, um, that, that had a, a, something like 600,000 mixed race children on the census. Mm-hmm. Those are, a minimum of 600,000 rapes. Uh-huh. They weren't happening in silence. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there were witnesses. Mm-hmm. So, these are, so you're talking about also a population of people who were living in, um, directly in the midst of torture, mm-hmm. who were living essentially on co- uh, concentration, concentration camps. Um, they worse. In cast, it really they were, the case that enslavement was much worse in some ways, more torturous, more punishing, more violent than the fucking mm-hmm. Holocaust. And obviously went on for, I mean, you know. Generation after generation, generation after generation. So, yeah. You know, even not. So having that. Think of it, yeah. And that's the thing. No one gets out of a situation like that unscathed. So when we said, you know, as a country, hey, slavery's over. It's illegal now. Um, you think people who witnessed rapes for two three four hundred years were fine after that no one was fine after that and yet we we're we're here wondering why like how is it that someone could see these atrocities and just be okay and look the other way how is it that they can see that people are dying of covid and they won't wear a mask we've learned it was a part of the the legacy Mm-hmm. It is a part of the legacy of the the massive inhumanity that this country was built on. Still mm-hmm. doesn't mean this country doesn't have hope. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the thing about humans is like y- you can grow up in the most disgusting situation and come out shining. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. In fact, often it's the people who came through the worst stuff that shine the most. Mm. And I don't just mean like ego shine. I don't just mean, you know, they, they, they went through the most and now they're super rich. I mean, you know, but when you talk about people who, who develop epic levels of kindness and, and influence, because of that, they're often the people that have suffered the most. So I really believe that this country can can achieve massive, wonderful things that are spiritual and good and just. But we have to do the healing, and we have to understand that we're all we're all wounded. We really are deeply wounded, wounded and complicit, um, and complicit. Yeah. Absolutely. I think you're, I think like at the root, I think at the root probably of this healing is um, us no longer being able to be in denial, like no longer upholding um, the systems that allow for that level of denial. Um, And that, you know, my, my deepest hope right now is that the Black Lives Matter movement is doing that. And um, and that, or that certainly it's, it's drawn enough awareness into the popular culture that, that, that people can then and, and want to start to self-educate. Um, not everybody. Not everybody. I mean, no, I know that. I mean, where for, I live. Yeah. You're in um, South Carolina. Holy. And shit. I'm in, we're, we're the only people of color for about I want to say maybe 10 miles in any direction. Um, It's because, so just a little background, my parents, so my mom and my stepdad are both white um, and they've been in this area, coming to this area for, you know, holidays and stuff for, you know, 30 years. Mm -hmm. My dad was, and then my mom, when they got married, Um, because things have become so polarized now, it makes it much more clear where everyone stands here. But, um, but they had already decided to retire here. So, you know, we're in this place where there are some of the sweetest people you could ever meet. Mm -hmm. And then there are some people who probably don't want us alive. Yeah. You know, you know, and, and brother half black too. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I mean, this is a small area. I don't want to say where we are, but this is a very small area. And in this very small area, we have a Confederate monument. We have a, you know, a Confederate flag flying over it. This is, you know, steps away from the town center. Um, You know, I know just looking up whether our town had the Klan in it, that there's at least one um, member or sympathizer in this very small area. this was known as a sundown town, um, you know, where where black people were in danger if they were here after the sunset. Mm-hmm. Um, black people are still f- afraid to come here at night, mm-hmm. um, like to this day. People we speak to, it's 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 a very interesting thing to be here right now. I feel safe in the pocket that I'm in, but not everywhere um, at all. Now, how has uh, it affected your like comings and goings and um and <laughs> too? Like what? Like and I mean, I'm I'm mean, I'm curious. Like really on a day to day, like what or do you take precautions? Like I don't jog. You don't jog. As much as I love jogging, um, I don't jog here. Um, I had, I decided to try one day. Um, I've done it a little bit. I did. I jogged 
one day about, you know, 10 minutes down the road. And, and that was where the Confederate monument was. And I was like, I gotta go home, <laughs> I gotta go home as I'm passing also, you know, Confederate, um, you know, people have Confederate flags on their cars here and stuff. So I'm passing that too. Um, I moved to the place that I'm in now and, um, and decided to try to take a job over here. And I remember, you know, I had started, started jogging off the property because it's a large property, mm-hmm. but I was like, you know, I'm going to go out. Which way should I go? I'll go, I'll go this way. Um, I jogged for a few minutes and was thinking things like, am I safe? Is this okay? Where am I now in relation to the monument? Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if, you know, if, if the people that I've met here that are really sweet have ever had a problem with the monument. I wonder if I could ask any of them if I'm safe. And meanwhile, I'm also keeping an eye out for any vehicles because um, it's a narrow country road and there's nothing on it. So if somebody did want to do something, I need to see where I'm going to run to. Um, and because it's also just being a woman out, like just take right. the race piece out. You're in a place where there's a lot of guys, guys with trucks and yep. you just never know. And so I'm already being mindful. Um, and, and I hear a truck pulling up behind me and slowing down. And, and I thought, well, maybe they're just trying to not alarm me because it's such a narrow road and I'm running on the side of it. And sometimes people will make a big circle around you just to show you that they're being careful. Um, but it kept getting slower and slower. And I was like, oh no, oh my God. Okay, okay, I, where am I gonna run to? And then it pulled up next to me and stopped and it was a sheriff's truck. And I felt fear fly up my body because I was thinking I'm in jogging shorts, a t-shirt and jogging shoes, jogging. There's nothing confusing about what I'm doing. So if the, if a sheriff is stopping me right now in the midst of all that's going on in the country, it's to do something terrible. Mm. And, and I was like, what am I going to do? Cause I can't really run from where I am right now. And they're a sheriff. And what am I going to do? And like all these thoughts are coming through my mind. And then all of a sudden I hear, Hi! and, and the person leans their head forward. And it's someone I had met and didn't know was a deputy. It was, um, it was a woman who is super sweet and super cool. And, and she like, she said, hi, I looked at her and just burst into sobs, like full on. She leaves her vehicle in the road, runs around to me and is like, Oh my God. And of course she's not touching me because you know, COVID. Um, and, and I start laughing and crying hysterically and trying to calm her and tell her, I'm sorry. That's, I just, everything came out. I don't feel safe here. Mm. and she had actually been one of the people I was thinking about like should I ask her if I'm safe here like Mm. so we had a really good talk about it um about what it's like you know and you know she had shared how you know it, it it, it was her observation that the media was doing a lot to kind of keep the the tension alive. And I pointed out like how many things I'd experienced that the, the media didn't, hadn't covered. Right. Um, we had a really good um, 
a really good conversation. Um, she later invited me to um, a Halloween party. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to go just because of the COVID of everything. It's an outdoor party, but um, you know, um, it's a weird ass time. Yeah. So like, I just thought after that, my landlord was like, yeah, I didn't feel good about you jogging anyway. Can you just not jog out there? Like just jog on the property or, you know, drive somewhere to a park or something. But, you know, had, had she wanted to do something, I mean, I like, I will say this, there are only a couple of police officers in our town. That was a County sheriff. So that was why I also got scared because I know who the police officers are here because I made sure to introduce myself because in order to get phone service, the phone service here is so bad. Um, I would have to leave my home and, and there were only a few pockets where I could get phone service. One of them being sitting directly in front of the Confederate monument and flag. So, I mean, it's like, like you can't make this up. So, um, so I had to tell them cause I've got this California car, California plates, you know, like to be like, hi officer. Hi. I am harmless. I will not hurt anyone, not casing anyone's house, not me. And, you know, and, and having that officer leave smiling and thinking, good, I'm probably safe with them now. And I feel absolutely disgusting. God, what also. is these stories, Prisa, this is so important what you're talking about. Like you're just, you're going through this because you're a black woman. That's the only reason that you have to make friends with police officers in towns. Um, and well, especially now. Yeah. Well, especially now because the, div- because the tensions are so surfaced, right. And because violence is being okayed by our president. Um, so and there was a statement in the last couple of weeks. Um, I will say this, like, I try to be careful about the way that I like for in Baha'i teachings, we we're, we are strongly advised not to be involved in partisan politics. We can be involved in political activities, mm-hmm. but but not in partisan ones. So I'm careful in the way that I that I express myself around things that are very partisan. But I yeah. but I I'm working with it as well, trying my best to be able to be um, vocal about where there's injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's very tricky in this particular um, climate that we're in. Um, but I will say, you know, there was um, a, um, Lindsey Graham was um, in his, in his um, conversation with Jamie Harrison a few weeks ago. It was like an official conversation, I guess, similar to a debate, but not really. And he was asked about um, the civil unrest in the country and whether there was racism in South Carolina. And, and he had said that he um, did not feel like there was racism in South Carolina. Um, and then went on to say that young African-Americans and immigrants are, um, they can go anywhere they want in South Carolina, um, as long as they're liberal. I mean, excuse me, not if they're liberal, as long as they're conservative. Mm-hmm. And I remember leaving the house that day so terrified that because I passed many signs for his um, can, his candidacy, candidacy for his campaign whenever I go anywhere. And um, I was so terrified because I knew that anyone listening to him 
may have taken that as license to harm anyone that they felt was not conservative. And, and you know, that's the thing how racism works. It, it works about, you know, it's, it's the curb appeal piece. It's not, people aren't going inside the house to find out what it's like. <laughs> they're like, they're like, you look like this this is how I'll treat you. And I'm in a place where everyone has guns. Um, everyone has guns. We're very far away from um, resources. If I was to call an ambulance for something, it would take them, you know, at least 20 minutes to get here, you know, literally if they left that second. Um, and, you know, to have someone in such a prominent position say something like that, to speak what I um, have suspected, I don't feel safe here. I don't feel protected, even though I do feel like I've interacted with some of the kindest people also that I have ever been around. Um, if you know, like if you've ever been on the phone with somebody from South Carolina, they're the sweetest people. Mm. Um, but there's this part of things here that is very dangerous. And, um, and to have someone in that position say, yeah, as long as you're conservative, you can go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I have to go places. And I had to go someplace that day. Um, the fact that I was wearing a mask essentially here is, you know, con you know, communicates that I'm quote unquote liberal, even though I wouldn't describe myself as either. Mm -hmm. um, like, I feel like there are extremely liberal aspects of myself and extremely conservative. I wouldn't say extremely conservative, but not not in the political sense, if that makes sense. Like just if we're looking at these general qualities, yeah. sure, there's, I have both. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, what you're saying is again, like so profound because, you know, at the root of, um, you know, you know, you can talk about this in so many levels, right? But like the broadest mm -hmm. level may be that what we're talking about is non-dualism. That, that, that in a world where truly, you know, we can respect and see the oneness of humanity, um, partisan politics feels like a, a, like a sort of immature, you, you know, idea even, right? Yeah. That like, um, that it's not about President Trump versus, please, um, versus Joe Biden. And that, that really, like, that, that both President Trump and Joe Biden kind of carry, you know, have positions in our, in our, in humanity's psyche, you know, and that yes. they both take up, you know, equally important, um, um, positions they're both here to and by the way i don't mean like trump versus biden i mean i say like trump versus bernie sanders or i don't know you know but that but that these that liberal and conservative are both aspects of our our collect collective consciousness and collective yeah. that um that that are hopefully there to help us evolve into you know, a greater consciousness, a more mm -hmm. kinder consciousness, some more peaceful consciousness, a more loving and abundant and wise um, consciousness. So, um, so you know, you can talk about these things on so many different levels. Um, but what is so striking to me is um, 
that that just like in your very immediate now like even in this beautiful womb-like um camper that you're living in um right outside the door um the, there is actual legitimate um fear that you could mm -hmm. be hurt because of um your skin color because of your race yeah. um yeah and that's that's i mean that is uh that is that is deeply um disturbing and you know my 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 greatest hope is that we're moving however slowly or quickly but that we are making moving hopefully quick more quickly than slowly <laughs> toward a, a place where you can be safe wherever you are and where you don't have like people on tv saying that you're not safe because you're conservative or liberal you know what i mean yeah i think it's happening fast okay. i mean wait i want to i'm realizing look we're I can talk. I could talk to you forever. I this has been such a, an incredible conversation. Like in the effort to start to wrap this up um, and to wrap it up potentially quickly, I do want to get back to the synchronicities. Because, and I feel like this is a really nice way for this um, this this conversation to have gone. So so tell me how just the the quick version mm -hmm. or whatever details that you think are, are you want to include and I want them all um how did you end up getting this job as a trauma surgeon that you're now okay. going back <laughs> okay the quick quick version um uh my manager had that intuitive feeling like stuff's gonna start popping up again and it did like the next day um different projects came to me but this one in particular something just spoke to me about and um i hadn't thought about leading a network show um i i honestly sometimes get frustrated with network things and um and it, you know because i want them to go deeper than they do and the other show that i that i had signed on for was also with abc and really went deep so I'd already felt like, okay, they're, they're doing something different here. And I read the script and I thought it was so well done. Um, there was such a vision to it. And there has to be because it, it, it truly, the story spans every episode. It spans 20 plus years. So um, I thought there was something, there's just something about it. My gut said, there's something you need to follow here. And um, and I ended up talking to this um, healer who's very intuitive, who said the same thing. There's something really important in this for you. I don't know what it is. Um, so just kept, I kept pursuing it and, um, and had a meeting, a wonderful meeting with the team about it. Um, David Cornu was the, the, the creator, um, writer of the pilot, um, Erica Messer, showrunner, um, John M. Chu, director for this, like really fantastic people. Um, and they talked about spirituality as part of the process with this, which really intrigues me. Because yes. um, it gets left out. It gets left out of so many things. Always. It, How did and I'm you like, this amazing group of people that's willing to go there with you? Yeah, like how how did I? How did you summon these people? Well, I don't know if I summoned them, but I but I I didn't turn them away. 
which yeah. I guess is my piece of it. You know, it's like, you know, being, being prepared and ready. Mind you, because of the phone service here, I had to drive 25 minutes to sit in a parking lot to have that conversation. Um, but um, I had the conversation with them. Um, they wanted to put me on tape for this. Um, I did one of the worst auditions of my life for this. No. Terrible. Why? Like in the midst of it. That's true. I, That's true, obviously. No, no, no. Everyone agreed. Oh, wow. I, mean, I don't know if they agreed. They didn't agree that it was so bad, but I felt, I felt like I was trying to leave my body during it. Mm. I was like, I don't know what's happening. I really don't. And I'm observing it. I'm like, huh. I mean, sure, this is the first sort of high pressure situation I've been in like this in months because, you know, it's been months. Um, I'm reading with my mother. There's a Zoom room filled with executives, um, but I can't get, I can't ground. I was nervous. I was just shaky and weird. And and as soon as it was finished, I let my reps know. I was like, that did not go well. Um, if there's an opportunity to do it again, I would love to, but I'm gonna let the, I'm just gonna let it go. This was, this was what came out. I did all the things I could think of to do. And funny enough, like afterwards, I realized there were a bunch of the, like the most potent tools that I have for dealing with situations like that, that didn't, they were just, they had escaped me. Mm -hmm. I just, they just didn't even occur to me. And, and I got another opportunity to do it. And, and that helped a lot. But I realized that there were things about this character that I was going to have to go to a different part of myself for. Mm -hmm. And, and that was why I think I was trying to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and for, you know, whatever reason, there is something about this project that I'm supposed to do and things started falling into place. And I remember even, um, like the first really fun thing that happened, um, was we were chem doing a chemistry read with the, the actor, uh, Andrew Richardson, who, who is going to play my husband. Mm -hmm. And we had a few minutes to talk before we started, um, the read, just the two of us were talking and, and he asked me where I was, and I said South Carolina. He's like, "Oh, that's so funny. I just, I just drove through South Carolina." And I was like, "What? Why?" And in my head, I was thinking, "Was he going to Florida or something?" And he was like, "Oh, I was going to Florida." And I was like, oh, "That's so funny. I was just wondering about that." I said, "Where?" And he said, "Oh, just outside of St. Pete, St. Pete's." So St. Petersburg, Florida, is where I grew up. Whoa. And I was like, what are you doing there? What is going on? He's like, my family's here. And I was like, what? This doesn't make any sense. What is happening? Like, what a coincidence. I, you know, I just, my mind was blown. And then, and then he goes, yeah, I'm here for a little while because of COVID. And then I'm going to be going to Jamaica to where my, the rest of my family is. And I was like, I was basically screaming. I was like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Meanwhile, he thinks I'm joking and I just have a really weird sense of humor. So he's just rolling with it. I was like, is he like a sociopath and just made these things up to be like closer to me? Because why is his family in the two places my family's in? This is just bizarre. And they're not common. It's not like he said like, oh, oh my, I'm, my family's in Jersey and, and New York. Like it was like this particular part of Florida. I was like, that's so crazy. Um, and, and now he's my husband, um, it, you know, fake husband. Yeah. Um, but um, like what else has happened? Um, 
uh, Bex Taylor Klaus, who plays my um, mentee and almost like a a like an like a grown child of mine in the show. They they are somebody who, as soon as we connected, we couldn't stop connecting, and it turned out that we have close people like close uh, mutuals in our lives in places that are really um surprising and that they grew up really close to where I am right now and just just things like that there are other things I wish I could share but I mean I'll have to figure yeah. out how to share them in the in the future but you just get these little confirmations and I know other people and in, involved in the project have had them as well and I think you know art is magic it is spirit I think it's you know art is spirit embodied even even the things that we kind of trivialize and say like, oh, that's just a television commercial or that's just a this, just a comedy. It's just a, you know what? Here's the thing. They're all expressions of, of our creative energy, of our creative capacity. And, and they get expressed in various measures or varying measures, depending on the, the container we put them in. And, um, and this is one this is a container that the people who've created it have, have filled with a lot of love and hope. And this is a project that's been cooking for several years now um, and just kind of waiting for the right time. And, and so, I mean, at this point, it's a pilot. We don't know, you know, if we'll get to make a series. I have a good feeling about it, but we'll see. Um, but it feels like even if it doesn't become a series, even if we don't get to shoot, because with COVID, you just don't know. We're we're a few weeks out. This could be a situation where it was all it was all a great idea, but it never happened. But we've all gotten a chance to live with these characters and bring their kind of spirit into the world, and we've gotten a chance to put together a group of people who who really want the best for a collective endeavor, and that's beautiful. And we put that energy into the world. So I think you know one of the big gifts of of COVID or as my you know one of my best friends calls it um called anti-rona like the gift of anti-rona um you know is is the ability to go I really appreciate this one thing right now Mm -hmm. and whatever it becomes I hope I appreciate that too Mm. if it becomes something rough I'll probably be able to get through it because I've had so many opportunities now to see what I could get through. Um, so it just, it feels really good. Does that mean I don't have shitty days? No, I have lots of shitty days. Yeah. I have, I have, you know, fears and resistance, but for so, the most part, it feels what, great. What's your top thing that you do when you have a shitty day to, to help yourself? Top thing. I have a tendency to throw multiple things at stuff when I feel really awful. Um, so it's a combination, I would say, of prayer, mm-hmm. uh, putting something in my body health that's healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, a vegetable. A vegetable. <laughs> um, even a cup of tea. Like something that tells my body that I care mm-hmm. um, and um, care about it. Because my nervous system can, you know, freak out so I'm calm that um talking to a friend reaching out to people is a big help Mm -hmm. um that's what I do when I when I'm on the 
when I, when I can get on the road out of it, I mean, my go-tos are just everybody's regular distractions of Instagram and Twitter that just make it worse. Um, but yeah, the things that work are those. Um, I can't tell you, I'm just so grateful to you for taking the time, um, to do this. Um, I, I'm super aware of the time. Is there anything else you want to say? Do you feel complete? You can always come back on. I want to come back on. Like, I feel like there's so many things we could talk about that. Um, I mean, like real talk, I'd be happy to have another conversation with you. Um, there's so, like, like you said, so much is happening right now. Um, and really like I think about yesterday was intersex awareness day, mm-hmm. which is something that I think a lot of people don't know about. And, and I encourage anybody that's listening to really look it up because what we're seeing now in the world, I think is, is as, as more of the voices that haven't been heard have a chance to speak, we're getting more of a glimpse into who we all are, period. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, the intersex community has been brutalized by the medical establishment, which has been supported by our, our nation, you know, and just our culture. Um, actually, all over the world, have, they've been brutalized. And, um, and finally, their, their platform is becoming more and more raised, if that makes sense. Like, um, there, there are so many more opportunities for voices to be heard. So I think about, you know, what, what their lessons have to teach us about gender, mm-hmm. um, you know, and for people who don't know, um, intersex people are people who, who, who have a variety of different traits that, um, that physically, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to express it. I'm sorry, because I try to be careful about it because it's very easy to speak, to misspeak about things that we don't have a full understanding of, which I don't. Um, But like who may have um, different genitals, um, like genitals that don't necessarily conform to um, what one part of their physical presentation would be. They might have um, a, a combination of um of reproductive organs um there's there's quite a variety of the ways that it expresses itself and so very often these are folks who are operated on as infants mm-hmm. by someone who decides what their gender will be mm-hmm. and and sometimes don't tell them that that's what happened and so they can spend years wondering why something feels off. And I think as the more that we understand that gender is not just something that's bound by the physical, we realize there's a very spiritual aspect to it. There's a sacred aspect to it. And that it's something that has much more, um, that it's, a, it's, that it's, it's expressed in way more ways than just what you wear and what your role is in a household. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's just this giant amount of possibility for all of us when we understand how we show up in the world. So like things like that, get, I just get really, really excited and it makes it harder for me to talk. Sorry, but like I get really, really excited and, um, and I would love to talk more about that. I feel like you'd have a whole conversation just about gender and the magic of that. All right. Well, maybe we'll do like a part two. 
um, sooner than later or when your schedule um, allows, or I don't know. I mean, like, I, think I would love it. Maybe we like set up actual mics like 12 feet apart in my backyard or something. Like, I just want to say one thing to wrap this up. Like, we were going to mm-hmm. talk, um, when was that? Like, two years ago now? I can't even believe it. Something we, like that. Be my guest after Zach Levi, but then I got this movie and I ended up going to New York and I put the podcast on hold for a little bit. And I, could not be happier that that this is when we're connecting that like right now we're having this this right now and it just like always goes to show that you know things really in my opinion things do tend to if you if you're open to it they tend to happen at the time when they're supposed to for better or for worse and sometimes that feels like fuck you why are you happening right now um but maybe then you learn something from it in this case like i i this is such a happy thing that that it took us this long to connect and that we're connecting here on you know in october and 2020 because i just feel like the wisdom that you have right now and that and the experience that you're having right now is just so so needs to be heard right now and so um or whenever I release (laughs) which I will hopefully sooner than later because I think it's so important so anyway thank you again so much and we'll trade info and I can't wait to see you in person at a distance with masks (laughs) thank you I'm so grateful this has made me really happy like my heart is all warm and I'm just grateful for this time with you thank you That's our show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at I am Kat Foster. Reach out to us using the hashtag ActingRealPod. We really, really get those messages and we really, really answer them. Links and recommendations for this week's episode can be found at ActingRealPodcast.com. Episodes drop on Mondays. Most importantly, if you love this show, please subscribe to it, rate it, review it. We love seeing those. It means a huge deal to the show. We're so grateful for you. We love you. Have a great day. This podcast was produced by the incredible Augusta Chapman with help from our amazing coordinator, Hannah Barbakoff, and our very talented sound engineer, Baraka Jenga. The music, which I absolutely adore, is composed by Sean Hokinson. 